Scripture reading for today is taken from the book of Philemon, which is a short book just right before Hebrews, if you're interested in turning there in your own Bible. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, Jay. Well, folks, good morning. Hey, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to the uh, book of Philemon. So you, you get First and Second Timothy, then you get Titus, and then you find a little short book called Philemon, page 967, if you're using the Pew Bible uh, in your pew back uh, in front of you. Well, we're continuing on in our sermon series, kind of uh, making our way to the tail end of it. Uh, new Year, New Love, examining what the Bible, specifically the New Testament, has to say about love in the church. We have been talking about uh, results of love in the church. What happens when we love each other the way that we have been experienced? exploring and learning how to over the past several weeks. We continue on uh, that trajectory this morning. So I hope you're in Philemon. Let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, help us, give us grace this morning. Uh, Spirit, be among us to open our eyes to this text that you inspired and to uh, apply it to our heart and to our life. May we love well so that these results that we see of love today in the church would be manifested among us in this body, in this church, in increasing quantity for your glory and for our good. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, 
Amen. Amen. Well, uh, a story is told uh, of, a, of a pastor who, after uh, uh, many, many years of faithful ministry, died. And, uh, of course, uh, he went to heaven. And as the story uh, goes, he uh, was there in heaven at the pearly gates. And he noticed that uh, there was a cab driver that he uh, was familiar with in New York City. He had been a pastor in New York all of his, uh, all of his time. And uh, the, the, the cab driver there in New York had, had been given an elevated position, had been given a higher place in heaven than he had. And so he was a little upset about this. He, uh, of course, goes to talk to St. Peter, because apparently St. Peter is always at the pearly gates. And uh, so he talks to St. Peter to complain. He says, Peter, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. I've devoted my entire life uh, to the ministry, to preaching and teaching of God's word. Uh, what's the deal? Why is this cab driver kind of in a higher place than me? And St. Peter says, well, our policy here in heaven is to reward results. To reward results, he explained. Now what happened, Reverend, uh, when you gave a sermon and, and the pastor thought about it and thought about his years of, of preaching and how the people in the congregation responded and he kind of sheepishly admitted to Peter, well, um, oftentimes uh, many of them would, would kind of doze off and they had a hard time staying awake and by the end of the sermon, uh, some of them were asleep. Thankfully, none of you are like that, right? Um, and, and, and Peter said, well, exactly. And what happened when this cab driver, uh, when people were in, in his cab, in his taxi, what happened when they were there? They not only stayed awake, but they even prayed. And if you've been in New York City in a cab, you probably know what I'm talking about. Well, last week we saw the first two results of love in the church, right? What happens uh, when we love well in the church? We saw that we fulfill the law and that we become united as a church. Well, this morning we will see two more results of what happens when we pursue doing all of the things we've been talking about over the past several weeks. What is the natural result of that? Well, two more things this morning. We will discover from, from Philemon that when we love well, we encourage each other. There is a sense of encouragement and spiritual refreshing in the body. Secondly, when we love well, we forgive well. When we love well, there will be forgiveness going on in the church. We will be a forgiving church, and we see that out of 1 Peter 4. So those are the two places we'll be, the small book of Philemon and then 1 Peter 4. So if you want to find both of those places in your Bible, let's begin with Philemon. Philemon, the first thing we see this morning when we love well as a church is that there will be a sense of encouragement, that we will encourage one another. I want to share the context. Uh, We had Jay read the book of Philemon, and I want to uh, set our verses in its context, right? We're going to focus in on verses 4 through 7, but let's quickly discover why Paul is writing this letter, and who is he writing it to, and what is this letter all about? Um, To learn this, uh, we see at the very outset, there at the very beginning of this letter. We find out that Paul is writing as a Roman prisoner. He is writing this letter uh, to his friend Philemon, and he's writing it as a prisoner uh, for the for the sake of Christ. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell, and he is writing, and he's writing a personal letter to his friend Philemon as he's awaiting his appeal to Caesar. You see that in the book of Acts. We see this in verse 1 and in verse 9. He calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ, right? He is in chains for the sake of the gospel. Uh, secondly, he writes to a, a man whose name is Philemon. We don't really know much about Philemon. In fact, he doesn't show up anywhere else in the Bible or the New Testament. So all we know about this man wh- whose name is Philemon is from this little letter. And we can kind of put some pieces together, right? First of all, we know that he was a wealthy man. 
He was a wealthy man, and we know that for a couple reasons. First of all, we see that he had a home that was large enough to accommodate a, a local church. Now, their local churches in that day may not have been as large as some, but he had a large home, and we see that a local church uh, met in his home in verse 2. So, most likely, he was a wealthy man. Not only that, he was a wealthy man because he owned slaves. We see that in verse 16. In particular, this entire letter really centers around one of his slaves by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus. And so that's what essentially this letter is, 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 is all about. It seems like the scenario, again, we kind of have to put the pieces together, but it seems that the likely scenario is that Paul knows uh, Philemon because Paul led Philemon to Christ. If you look in your Bible at verse 19, there's this little reference that Paul makes. He says, I will pay any debt, right, any debt that Onesimus has, uh, I'll pay it. And not to mention, you owe me your very life, right? Not to mention, you owe me your very self. And I think this is a subtle reference to Paul saying, I led you to Christ, right? I am your spiritual father. Regarding the letter, uh, just reading the letter, we can kind of uh, figure out what had happened. So Onesimus, right? He's kind of the, uh, what this letter is all about. He was a slave of this man Philemon. And we find out as we read the letter that he ran away. That was very common in that day. So he ran away from his master. He most likely stole some things from this man, whose name was Philemon, and jetted off. Well, apparently he makes his way into the city of Rome. Somehow he finds his way into Paul's hemisphere. And Paul apparently leads him to Christ, right? And so you have a runaway slave making his way, uh, meeting up with Paul. He becomes a Christian. And then this man, uh, Onesimus, apparently becomes useful to Paul. Most likely, he served Paul as Paul was in chains there in the Roman prison. So he flees Rome. He meets Paul. He becomes converted. He becomes useful to Paul. And somehow Paul realizes that this, Onesimus, is Philemon's slave. Now, he knows Philemon. He led Philemon to Christ. And so Paul has a decision to make, right? He has a runaway slave on his hands who became a Christian under his tutelage. So what is he going to do? Well, he writes this letter known as Philemon to Philemon regarding Onesimus because he wants to send Onesimus back to his master to make full restitution for what he stole. And he urges Philemon to treat Onesimus not simply as a slave, right? But now he has become a brother, both useful to to Paul and useful to Philemon. So, it's in this context that Paul writes. Let's focus our efforts in verses 4 through 7 as we begin our exposition. It's in this context that after his greetings to Philemon in verses 1 through 3, Paul gives his commendation, his commendation of Philemon in verses 4 through 7. That's very common uh, in writing letters of those days. There is a a general greeting, and then there is a I thank God for you uh, kind of part. And that's what we see in verses 4 through 7. So Paul speaks very, very highly of this man Philemon. Apparently, he was uh, a very uh, a godly man and an, uh, an outstanding uh, Christian. And so he commends him on several things in verses 4 through 7. And what stands out, and we'll read it again, what stands out in this commendation is Philemon's love for other Christians. He mentions it two times in these three verses. He says, the outstanding quality of you, Philemon, is that you love other Christians well, right? He mentions it uh, twice. As in all of his letters except Galatians, Paul begins with thanksgiving. So let's take a look at verse 4. He says, I always thank my God 
as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people, right? Reference number one. And, and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the outset of his commendation, he says, I am thankful to God for you, Philemon. And there are two things, two reasons why I'm thankful. First of all, because I hear about how you love other Christians so well, and I'm so very grateful for it. But not only that, I'm grateful for your faith in Christ. I'm grateful that you placed your faith in Jesus and you were born again, and that you have a continuing faith in Jesus, right? So at the outset, we see Love for other Christians and faith as two things that characterize this man by the name of Philemon. Moving on into verses 6 and 7, we see that Paul expands on these two things, love and faith. But he switches the order. He reverses the order, starting in verse 6, praying for Philemon's faith. Notice what he says in verse 6. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. So he's mentioned that he loves other believers. He's mentioned that he has a faith in Jesus. And so now Paul says, I'm thankful for you and all of my prayers, and this is what I pray for, right? I pray that your faith would, would grow, that it would broaden, and specifically that your faith would help you realize that as a believer, you have a responsibility to other Christians. Uh, Verse 6 is very difficult to translate in the Greek. Uh, The NIV here, I think, does a good job. But let me kind of summarize. Let me, what what Paul, I think, is intending to get at. Paul is saying in verse 6 something like this. He's saying, Philemon, I'm about to ask you to do the right thing. I'm about to ask you to do the right thing and not punish Onesimus as a slave, but to treat him as a brother in Christ. But before I do that, before I do that, right, I want to gently remind you that as a Christian, you have the responsibility to do good to your fellow believers for the sake of Jesus. That's what he's doing in verse 6. So he prays for the faith of Philemon, and that it would be an active faith, and that he would treat this former slave rightly. Then in verse 7, he turns again to this man's love. And notice what he says about how this man loves the saints. Verse 7. He says, Your love, your love, Philemon, has given me great joy. Number one. Your love has given me great joy. And number two, encouragement. Because you, brother, have refreshed the heart's of the Lord's people, right? This is Philemon's outstanding quality, that he loves the people of God, right? Paul mentions it two times in these short verses, and here he expands upon that. What what kind of a man was he? What, What kind of love did he show? Specifically, what were the results in the Christians that Philemon loved? What was the result in their life? Well, Paul speaks very personally here in verse 7. Notice the first result of Philemon's love in Paul's life. What does he say? Your love has given me great, what? Joy, right? Your love to me, Philemon, has given me great joy. It makes Paul happy or glad. Secondly, it gave Paul great encouragement, right? Paul was encouraged because of the love that this man showed to him. Third, Paul says that his love refreshes the hearts of the saints, right? His love refreshed the hearts of God's people. The first two, joy and encouragement, are fairly self-explanatory. But let's, let's take a look at this third result. Paul says that this man's love, which characterized him, right, refreshed the hearts of the Lord's 
people. This term uh, that the NIV translates refresh stems from uh, the base word, which simply means to rest. It simply means to rest. That is to rest until the point of being refreshed or re-strengthened. Actually, it's a military term. It's a military term that was used for an army that was marching, 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 and then they would stop and take a break and rest for a while. And what, what would happen? They would rest, and they would be revived. They would be refreshed so that they could continue to march. That's the the terminology here that Paul uses about the result of Philemon's love. He says that, Philemon, you, spiritually speaking, refresh the hearts of God's people. Um, When I was in high school for about two summers, um, I played all sorts of sports in high school because, much like System Park, uh, I went to a small school where you can play pretty much anything and you don't have to be very good. So I played football. It wasn't very good. Played basketball. wasn't very good. I played baseball. wasn't very good. You notice the theme here, right? Uh, I played golf. wasn't very good. I ran track. wasn't very good. But I did play tennis, and I was decent. Okay? I was okay. At tennis, I, I, was, I was decent. In fact, not to brag or anything, but my junior year, I went undefeated. There you go. Um, not to brag, but maybe a little bit. Next week's lesson is on humility. But um, <laughs> So I really love tennis. And what I did uh, is uh, I took lessons. And so uh, there in Corpus Christi, uh, there was a, a tennis center. And uh, there was, a, you know, a semi-pro guy who gave lessons to people who wanted to be semi-pro like me. And so I took lessons both, I think it was my sophomore and junior summers. And uh, long story short, uh, if you've ever been to South Texas, if you've ever been down uh, on the Corpus Christi Bay, you'll know uh, a couple things. First of all, uh, in the summertime when I took lessons, it's over 100 degrees, basically at 8 or 9 a.m. Always hot, always humid, anywhere from 90 to 100% humidity. So just think sticky, right? That's, that's how it is. It's sticky and it's hot and it's, and it's breezy because it's right on the ocean. And so I would take lessons in the summertime in these kind of conditions from oh, about eight or nine in the morning to about three or four in the afternoon. Um, we would take lessons in the morning and it was so hot and so sticky and so uh, just terribly exhausting that they would give us a two-hour lunch because we'd work hard uh, during the morning session. And during that two-hour break, we, of course, were supposed to eat lunch. But more than that, what were we supposed to do? We were supposed to rest. We were supposed to be refreshed, right? We were supposed to be revived so that our energy level would be up so that in the afternoon sessions we could go hard again. That's very similar to the result of Philemon's love to the people of God. Paul says that it refreshed them when they were going through a difficult season, when they were spiritually tired, that his love to the church revived them and refreshed them. Interestingly enough, you may be familiar with this passage, Matthew 11, 28, in the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. That's the same word that Paul uses here about the result of Philemon's love on other Christians, right? And so, connect the dots. Philemon had a vital relationship with Jesus, so he was being spiritually refreshed by Jesus. And then as he entered into the life of other Christians, what was the result? He refreshed them, right? Same word. And so as we think about ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, would other people say this kind of thing? Would other people say what Paul said about Philemon in regards to our love 
and the, ref- the results and the effect on them, right? Would they be able to pin the words about the way that Philemon loved Paul, right? Would the, would the person in the pew next to you, in your Bible study, in your small group, in your Sunday school class, in your service team, team or in the ministry, would they say that, that your love for them fills them with joy, right? Would they be able to say that, that your love for them is an encouragement? Are people happy in the Lord after their time with you, or are they happy to be leaving after their time with you, right? Would people say that you were a source of encouragement? That is, you encouraged their faith, right? Or you didn't, you didn't drag their spirits down with doubt or negativity or complaint. You uplifted them. Are you a source of spiritual refreshment for other Christians because of the way that you love them? Do they feel revived, renewed, and energized from their time with you, right? Do they, do they feel emboldened to follow Christ? Do they feel desirous to know Christ more and challenged to share him more because of their time with you? CBS News anchor, uh, uh, the, the great Dan Rather, right, uh, read a story that uh, interested me this week. He was a high school boxer, so he did boxing in high school. And he shared uh, this little quote I want to share. He was talking about the role that his boxing coach uh, had while, on him while he was in the ring uh, to encourage him. Dan Rather says this, If you're in a ring just once in your life, completely on your own, and you get knocked down, it's a never-to-be-forgotten experience. He says, sometimes the only thing making you get up is someone in your corner yelling for you. Friends, we all need somebody in our spiritual corner, right? We all need somebody in our corner, the corner of the ring of life, yelling for us to get up, yelling for us to keep fighting the fight of faith. We all need this. But we all need to be the one in the corner also, right? We need somebody in our corner, but we need somebody uh, to encourage as well. We need to be in somebody else's corner, right? So whose corner are you in and how are you affecting them? Friends, if we love the way that we've been talking about, we will give other people joy. We will be a source of encouragement to them. And not only that, but we will refresh their hearts. We will refresh their souls. So... Here's how we're going to close our service this morning. We've talked about the first result of encouragement from Philemon. I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn backwards just a bit to 1 Peter chapter 4. There we see the second result of love in the church, and that is a loving church is a forgiving church. A loving church is a forgiving church. Let's read verses 11 through, excuse me, 7 through 11 together. The end of all things is near, Peter says. Therefore, be on alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as, as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the, the same strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter here is talking to Christians who are suffering persecution. And here in this little section, he is telling them, here are the responsibilities that we have to one another as Christians as we face hardship 
from the outside world. He says, Christ's return in verse 7 is imminent, is imminent. And so in view of that imminent return of Christ, we have some responsibilities. What are the responsibilities that we have to one another as we face persecution? Well, look at the verses again, right? We are to be prayerful, right? We are to pray for one another, the tail end of verse 7. We are to love one another deeply, verse 8. We are to show hospitality, verse 9. We are to serve other people using our spiritual gifts, verses 11 through 12. But let's focus now on verse 8. Because in verse 8, we see the second result of love in the church. Paul says, Above all, love each other deeply. Because, here's the reason, here's the result, because love covers a multitude of sins. It's worth noting, right, uh, Peter's emphasis on love, right? We've seen it with Paul, we've seen it on Peter. There is a priority of love in the church. He says, above all, right, verse 8, above all of these things. It's his way of saying prayerfulness, yes, is important. Hospitality, yes, is important. Serving each other through spiritual gifts, yes, it's important. But above all, right, love. It's of first importance. And not only that, he says love deeply. It, it's, it's the word to describe an athlete's muscle being strained. It's a word that's used to describe the galloping of the horse as they flex their muscles. He says love at full strength, right? Love hard. Why? Well, we see the, the, the reason and the result in verse 8. Because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? What does that mean when Peter says here that when we love each other deeply and we make it our first priority, that then love covers a multitude of sins? The idea is that a loving person naturally is a forgiving person. A person who shows agape love, which is here in this text, to brothers and sisters is willing to forgive a brother and sister. It's easy to love people who don't sin against us, right? It's easy to love each other as a church when we aren't sinning against each other. But newsflash, I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. So we're going to sin against each other. So what are we supposed to do when that happens? Well, if we love our brothers and sisters, love covers a multitude of sins, or as Jesus told Peter, seven times 70. This is not some kind of blind love that refuses to acknowledge that somebody has wronged them. It's not pretending that it didn't happen or it didn't hurt. It's not uh, condoning that action. No, this love sees and still accepts both the flaws and the faults of others and forgives the sins of others when they harm harm us. The word literally is the word cover literally means to hide. Paul says that when we love each other well, we are willing to hide each other's sins. We hide each other's sins. And it's just figurative language to mean we don't count it against them, right? We don't seek revenge, right? We don't get them back. We forgive them. And so friends, we must be willing. We must be willing to see the flaws and the faults and even the sins that other people in the body commit against us. And if we pursue love above all, then we will be a forgiving church, right? We will have our love cover a multitude of sins. So, are you a forgiving person? Are you quick to pursue the process of forgiveness when you have been wronged or do you stew on it? Do you chew on it? Do you brood over it? Do you hold it against them? It's so natural to do that. But a loving Christian will be a forgiving Christian. And a loving church will be a forgiving church. And consequently, an unloving Christian will be an unforgiving Christian. And an unloving church will be uh, 
an unforgiving church, right? Plagued with strife and division and discord. And so what we've seen this morning is that when we love, we will refresh the spirits and the hearts of each other and we will pursue forgiveness. And of course, of course, we can't do this on our own, right? Last week we saw that we only love each other because God first loved us, right? This week we see that we too can only forgive each other because God has first forgiven us. Notice the text behind me, Ephesians 4.32. Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? How? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So the power for us to forgive our brothers and sisters doesn't reside in our own ability. It resides in the fact that God has forgiven our debts completely, right? Friends, Peter is asking us to do what God, uh, asking us to do for others what God has already done for us, right? God has covered over the multitude of our sins when we come to place our faith in Jesus. And so we're going to close by remembering this love. By remembering this love of Christ that covered our sins, we are reminded that Jesus, his body was broken as the bread was torn and that his blood was spilt, right? We remember Christ. We praise him for what we, he has done for us. We ponder his forgiveness of us and what that means for our forgiveness for others. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to lead us in a short time of prayer and reflection. And then I'm going to ask you to come. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you are a born-again Christian, then we invite you to come and take the elements and remember Christ and what he's done for us, and then you're, you're free to go. So let's pray and prepare ourselves to take the elements of communion. Father, we are so very grateful that we um, come to you and that you have forgiven our sins, that you have covered over the multitude of our sins. And Father, we are so grateful. We come to the table uh, now uh, purely by grace and we recognize that your son has shed his blood and that his body was broken for us so that we could uh, draw near to you, so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could walk with you, so that we can love our brothers and sisters, encourage them, and even forgive them when they harm us. But you have forgiven us much, so much. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to be willing to forgive each other of much as well. Father, prepare our hearts and minds, and may we with a joyful heart remember what you have done. It's in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen.